As I mentioned last week, the, in these three weeks, we're going to deal with three things. Last week, we dealt with the ministry, under the title ministry, and with that, we have the ministry of <coughs> Moses, and we did have the ministry of the Spirit being compared by Jesus, by Jesus. If you remember that passage, what Paul did was to put up two ministries to be compared. But he was actually putting it like a two columns. Here is the ministry of Moses and here is the ministry of the Spirit. And when he take each of the attribute, he was comparing it across, across. But what I did was to take it the other way. I took the ministry of Moses and deal with it, all the attributes first and explain the background first. And then I go, I went on to, to, to tackle on the ministry of the spirit. So that was a bit of a different approach to Paul, but I thought that that would be giving us a clearer picture uh, because uh, it was because Paul, when he was right, he wrote to the Corinthian. They have that bulk of information already, so we need to be refreshed. What do you mean by the ministry of Moses, for example? So, but I concluded that you know where, where, where Paul concluded that now we have the ministry of the Spirit, ministry of the Spirit which is far superior, far superior than the ministry of Moses, than the ministry of Moses. Now, if you like to follow this message uh, a bit clearer, maybe you turn your Bible and keep your fingers at that passage we read. Because today, I will be going through verse by verses as it plays out. So if, if, in the absence of a PowerPoint, we'll be doing first verse and then go to the second verse, third verse, fourth verse. And that could be helping you to lead what I have to share, what I have to share. So it be by verse, by verse uh, study with you. And next week we're going to do, as I say, the, the McDonald meal. We have the ministry. We have today, we have what we call the mission of the church. And next week, we're going to have the messenger, the ministry, the mission, and the messenger. So this week, we are looking at the mission, mission of the church, mission of the church. Verse 1, therefore, having this ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Now, Paul used the pronoun we. It would mean him and his team. But he would also like the Corinthian church to also take up on themselves that it also included them. We. We have the ministry. Not only Paul and his team, the missionary team, but also the Corinthian church too should also take up the ministry which Paul and his team are, were having. But it also means that it includes us as the we too. We have the ministry. We have this ministry by the mercy of God. 
we have this ministry too. So this is the mission for us. This is for us too. This is for us too. And what is this ministry? We can say that it's the ministry of preaching God's word. But in the context of what Paul has written previously, this is the ministry of the Spirit. And what is the ministry of the Spirit is that now a person, when they turn to God, can have, turn to Christ, can have the Holy Spirit indwelling in the person, indwelling the person to teach him, to motivate him, and to guide him. So we have this ministry to actually, uh, what do you call, share with the world. I was driving on Mon- on fun- I think it was Friday, thinking of the sermon to, to my usual golf game, and it hit me. Another thought came into my mind. When Jesus promised in John chapter 14 that the Father, that the Godhead will dwell in us, I just wonder that it goes beyond just that we get prompted in our heart and our mind that we can listen to as though voices in our conversation with God in our mind that he teaches us in, in, in internally. But I think that is a substance, a substance of the Godhead in us. Because the Bible says, uh, told us that we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. We are the temple. So there is something of a substance of the Godhead within us. Wow! That sort of blow my mind. We have God dwelling in us. So when I was sharing about the ministry of the Spirit, it's not to distract us that this was enabled by the blood of Jesus Christ. But I believe that the moment a person turned to Christ for forgiveness and brought into the kingdom, the Godhead comes to us and dwells in us. Bodily in substance. In substance. So this, imagine, when you share the gospel, when people ask you, where is God? You say, if you are really keen, God can be in you. Instead of where is God? God promised that if a person turns to Him, He can come in to that person. I think that's a wow, you know. We have such a ministry. We have such a ministry. So it's not a ministry of just convincing a person to accept some kind of proposition of how his sin can be forgiven. There is some organic, internal promise that God can come in substance and dwell in a person. So, we are called to this ministry, a great ministry, by the mercies of God. By the mercies of God. How do we tie this ministry to the mercies of God? Of course, it is a privilege to have this ministry. 
to have to to be partaking of this ministry is a privilege. But we understand also that we are into this ministry because we have partake in the mercy of God. We are already partaker of the ministry of God, uh, 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 the, uh, the what they call the mercies of God. We are forgiven. We can now actually enter to this ministry because we actually tasted tasted the goodness of God by His mercy. And it also removes that when we partake this ministry, personal interest. We, we, we like to share the gospel. We like to have people coming to know Christ, to be enriched with the blessing of God. Not because we want to chop up credits. Credit, therefore, when we reach a certain credit point, we can enter the kingdom of God. There was not this compulsion to be approved by God to God's kingdom because we already have the mercy of God. Therefore, when we share the gospel, there was no personal interest. In fact, we love it that a person can taste this ministry, this, this, this mercy of God. This mercy of God. Therefore, we are empowered because this ministry is powered by the mercies of God. And therefore, I do not lose heart. I do not lose heart because in the midst of difficulty, I have such a great thing to be blessing somebody else. It's not from me, but from God. Such a great gift, such a great blessing to give somebody else. And I'd like to remind you in particular, this is the greatest and most important gift you have to think to to give to your family members, especially the children. Especially the children. Continue to pray. Continue to pray that they will have a realistic indwelling of the Spirit that when they go through their life, they will claim that Jesus is their Lord and they will love Jesus from the innermost part. The innermost part. So this is a glorious ministry. The ministry powered by the ministry of the mercy of God. So we do not lose heart. Let's go to verse 2. But we have renounced this graceful, underhanded way. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of truth, we will command ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. In the sight of God. Now, because we are not result oriented, we are not driven by competition. We are not driven by fear that, you know, if we don't have enough point, we do not, not uh, enter God's kingdom and therefore we should try by every mean to get a person into the kingdom. We are not under that compulsion. So therefore, we need not actually try underhanded ways. Underhanded ways to, to trick a person to make the gospel more, 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 what you call, user-friendly, to make them feel comfortable to move from their sinful life to less sinful life, but not actually 
maybe completely accepting the Lordship of Christ, and there they are. I remember that in my enthusiasm, that when I was, uh, I was a student, still a student, and I was remember that particular side. I was cycling down the road, and one of my classmates, she cycled past me, and she said, "I just came from a Bible study." She was not a Christian at that time. I, I was a Christian, and she said, that, "You know, amazing thing that Jesus Christ." Die for my sin. This is the first time I, I understand that. Then I say, wow, you know, because you confess that you already are a Christian. I say, but I'm not. No, no, you are already a Christian. Don't worry, you are already a Christian, you know, because by the lips you confess that Jesus Christ saved your sin. Yeah, you are a Christian. There was so much enthusiasm just to nudge him, to enable. But praise the Lord that somewhere down the line, she, she turned out to be a wonderful, loving the Lord, and uh, serving the Lord, and we, we later on we served in the youth ministry. But, but you know, the enthusiasm is just, uh, it's nearly there. You know, the Lord haven't taken them over the line yet, but you just give a kick, and so that, you know, hopefully they, they go over the line. But no, he says, don't worry about, don't worry to use underhanded way, but preach it truthfully, truthfully. So we are not under compulsion to, 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 to have the result orientated, but to be actually, to, to believe that we have to speak the truth. And what is the truth? We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. We believe in the efficacy of the word of God, however unpleasant to the listener it may be. We may be facing new values nowadays. There are new values, new thoughts nowadays. That is, they are contrary to God's word and God's value. But as Paul, we should be confident, confident that the word of God is sufficient, sufficient and permanent, and permanent to actually bring, to minister to the person. We must base our truth on the scriptural truth as from the Bible. We do not need to tamper with it. Tamper with it. Now, I would like to give a caveat, a caveat to this, this thought of tempering to God's word. And uh, if you get lost in this part of my explanation, uh, feel free, like David is going to have a chat with me about last week's sermon, feel free to have a discussion with me. My, the, my caveat is this about tempering God's word in the area of Bible translation. Bible translation. I think we must agree that an honest and rigorous research is encouraged. An honest and rigorous research is encouraged. Historical evidences must be considered. We must be prepared to subject the Bible to be analyzed just as we want all other faith and worldview to be. One standard and not biased. What I mean to say that if we want to subject any document to be actually proved its worth, we subject it to some critical analysis, some critical 
to 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 see the source, to see the source. And therefore, what we call, we have credibility that we actually gone through rigorously the research. In the area of Bible translation, we must agree that, first I will say this, when I put some fear into you, saying what, what is Andrew coming up with next. The Bible has, is a very sophisticated Excellent and robust manuscript. Manuscript. But we have translation, you will, you will be challenged. Translation that varies, that varies. And some people will say, ah, you are tampering with God's words. Tampering with God's word in your translation. In your translation. Well, we must agree that there are variations within the translation, but we must distinguish that when we say that there is an original. We call the original the autograph. When Paul wrote the second Corinthian, the very first copy when he sent to Corinth, that is called the autograph. And they are lost. The autograph, after they read it, they copy it, they are lost. The second copy is no, no longer called the autograph. It's copies. Copies. Subsequently, over history, we have many of these copies, many of these copies. And actually, when we sum total, take to all these copies to actually translate the Bible, there will be some variation in spelling and some variation in name. There are variations. There are variations. Because there are so many thousands of copies, because the scripture is part of our worship system that every church would want to have a copy, so they copy it. And then when they use it, it wore off, and they had to copy again. So the subsequently, what do you call, you have copies of copies. And what we have here is the translation from the copies we have. And there are more copies coming out. More copies coming out even as they go to the the the. the uh, what the churches, the old churches, and they unearth some copies which is dated even the first centuries and all that, then you have to consider that this is an earlier copy. So what does it do to our Bible translation? So we have a group of scholars trying to improve on it. So there are variations. But don't worry. What happens is the variations are insignificant. Insignificant. And... The majority of translation, the majority agree on the major doctrinal issue and the historical description in the historical description. So the majority of it agree with our doctrinal, key doctrinal view and also the historical historical uh, description. So we actually have a very credible, instead of uncredible, we have actually a credible, and this manuscript is no like no other manuscript. And we should actually be proud and take this in this kind of argumentative force to the public. We are not blind to the variation. We, we know that we have to be credible. Our credibility is at stake. But if you tell me that if you take this Bible and go to the people and say, this is the same as the first one, orthograph. 
then I believe that we are playing an underhanded game. We are not telling the truth. We are not telling the truth. There's a lot of competition as regards to various translations, but you can have a conversation with me later on. But what I'm saying is that we, while we say that the truth, we do not tamper with God's word. Do not take this in contact that the translation, they are tampering with God's word. They are tampering with God's word. So we need to protect our credibility. We need to protect our credibility. So over here in verse 2, we say that we will commend ourselves to everyone conscience in the sight of God. We have to be people who protect this integrity, the credibility of our voice, if we are to be heard in today's arena. If you want your children to actually hear the credibility of what you share, the truth of the gospel, I think we have to tackle this issue. We have to be credible and we have to hear them, where their doubts are, where the other challenges to the Bible is. This is the greatest challenge today in the time where there are too much opinion and too many voices are heard. Now, one of the things in the turn of, uh, I think, turn of the century is that we believe that we are now in the time of information. Remember, every day we were so happy. Information now is king. We are in the time whereby there's going to be a lot of information. Everybody can find out everything because of internet. Information will be the key. But I find today we are in the time of misinformation. You just need to open your the computer, read the news. There's no news now. It's only news which what the newscaster want you to hear. Addicted. I believe that. So I'm really abuzz. What is sometimes really true? I mean, to a certain extent, I have to live my day, my, my life day after day and accept certain bar of truth and move on. But that's the thing. We are now having a truth war. What is true? So one of the applications for me to share the gospel is when I begin, now first thing is, personally, this, this doesn't need to apply to you. I feel that I do not need to actually give my opinion in Facebook. I do not want to dilute my, my, myself to, to say I have an opinion on everything. You like anything, anything people put out on Facebook, you start having your opinion, opinion. Then people ask you, you know, uh, you, you get your opinion wrong many times, right? So when you share the gospel, is it part of this opinion thing? You know, it is something which you, you thought about. So I would like to actually reserve that when people hear me that when I say something, at least they give the credibility that I don't say too much opinion on other things. This must be very important to me. When I begin a new uh, group of friends in the among the golfers' friends, and we have a WhatsApp group, and to tell when we're going to play golf and all that, and arrange all the game. But when they actually converse there, there's a lot of opinion from Ukraine war to everything else. I refuse to participate in the opinion. I just just want to know what time is my game and all that, because I want to preserve. So when they 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 they, they, they were to uh, when I open my mouth, people would start listening to a bit. 
So I hope that will work for me. But what I'm saying is I do not want to dilute the credibility of my voice to have too many other opinions which may turn out to be wrong. So that's how I work out to be. So we have to present, we, we, we have to, to, to posture ourselves so that we could present ourselves with credibility. And this is how I plan myself to do. Now let's look at verse 3 to 4. And even if our gospel is real, it is real to those who are perishing. In their case, the, the God of this world has blinded the mind of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The, challenge of, the challenges of worldview and the challenges of the spiritual world. It says here that even as our gospel is preached, we are in the battlefield. In the battlefield. Success is not guaranteed. Some people would not believe. Okay? The God of the world have blinded their mind to unbelievers. There are many strongholds, what I would consider strongholds, which we have to break through. A person has to break through. Now, too many things. In the worldview, we have the stronghold of critical theory. Now, if you are not aware of this, this word critical theory, Google it. Behind all this wokeness, the, all this movement of uh, gender equality, all the movement of uh, all this, have its source traced back to critical theory. Historically, this is what happened. Now, critical theory actually originated in Germany and it went to went to Russia. It is a socialist Marxist philosophy. Socialist Marxist philosophy. In the beginning, they tried to say that the workers must rebel against the owner. That was a, to raise the worker to rebel against the owner. But they failed in Russia. And what happened is a lot of this, during the, the, the Berlin Wall fall down, a lot of these thinkers migrated to America. And there were a lot of them were given academic positions in a lot of the universities, bringing over still these Marxist socialist thoughts into the university's thinking. And then they changed from the workers taking down the owners, they changed to, to take down the institution, to take down the institution. How can they subvert the institution? So they actually, in the law, I mean, in the universities and all that, they are given places to actually share this. And it has influence, had influence on the thinking of the university. You see what's happening in the media, in, 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 in the, the, the law, even the law, in politics. These have taken much root in the society. They subvert the society. This group of professors, Marxist socialist thinking. Marxist socialists are really anti-Christian. Anti-Christian. And then finally, 
They say, you subvert the institution is not enough. You have to subvert their values. Subvert the values. And you see that the values we have now, given by the media, taught to be sophisticated, actually do stream bit and pieces from this thinking, critical theory. Google it and then you will find this is a very dominant source where all this flows down, flows down. So that is worldview, the God of this age. Then there is also the God of this age influence our person, uh, 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 holding back the person from accepting Christ as Savior. The sins in their life. It could be you know, you, you, you desire to sin and, and the, the life of sin is even more important to you at that time that you say, no, not for the gospel. Now, I, when I heard the preaching of the gospel for the, when I was sitting down there and listening that Christ died for my sin, I said, Eureka, now I have a way to get rid of my conscience, I have a way to buy my ticket to heaven. I was sitting down there. But then I told myself, I was again a youth at that time. I said, look here, I got the secret. But right now, I haven't tasted sin to its utmost yet. I would like to, you know, keep this at the back of my mind, my, my, my insurance card, and then enjoy the sin first. And then one day, you know, pull up the insurance card and say, God, you forgive my sin. I'm glad that that day when I'm listening to the message, the speaker says this. And it may not be actually scriptural, but he says this. Your sin is like a thread. One sin, one thread. Two sin, two thread. And as the thread goes bigger and bigger, it becomes bigger and bigger rope. And you may find it more difficult to break that. So don't think that he may be speaking directly to me. He didn't know. But I say, oh, okay, I, I have the rope quite big already and, and I better get rid of it. So I walked down the aisles and accepted Jesus Christ. So sin can be one of the things which hold you back, hold you back, hold a person back. So you, if it doesn't apply to you, but it may apply to the person who you are sharing the gospel so these are the things you have to pray that the stronghold will be broken down. The stronghold will be broken down. And that is also the power, the real embodiment of power and authority of the evil one. I think 1 Peter 5.8 says about, let's look at 1 Peter 5.8. One Peter chapter five verse eight. It says that be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowl along like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. The, the real personality, the real personality of the devil, is real. It's not just a force, an influence, but the real. The Bible speaks of the real personality of the devil, and it 
is actually actively trying to trip you, to devour you. And for his own people, he tried to hold back, hold them back, so that they would not, they would not accept the Bible, accept the gospel. And Ephesians says about, we are not contending, Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 says that we are not contending with just the power of the world, but the principle and power of the spiritual world. Spiritual world. I think sometimes we actually take the, the Bible just a mental stage. And I haven't gone to the part whereby I could perceive that spiritual dynamic every time we have anything to do around here. I cannot perceive the spiritual dynamic of the, 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 the arrows which the, the, the evil one would want to throw at us, to distract us, to make us not listen to, to God's word. I believe that this is part of the fight we have to have. In certain community, this becomes very real, so we actually have to contend to like uh, cast out, uh, to, 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 to deliver, to help a person to be delivered from being possessed, what you call possessed by the Spirit. In one occasion where the person we were ministering to, the, the husbands and the wife, the, the wife are seeing manifestation in their house. And it sort of confirmed, like, you know, that, that the way they describe it, sort of having a very two-party confirmation. So when we actually went there and prayed, because the, 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 the family member, one of them is a Christian, asked us to pray for them. So we went there and visited them. But when the husband said, look here, you know, you, you pray so that this will be delivered. But he said, for him, he, he, he invited that, that whatever to come into him, he think he can control it. So that, you know, he would, he will, he will be able to challenge that. But I say only Christ can challenge it. But if you are, you are reluctant to be controlled by Christ, we have nothing to do with you. So we have nothing to pray for him. So we left. But it's a real fight in some of the spheres we are in. It's a real fight. So, so the God of this world, the God of this world have many facets, many areas where the battle is fought. And maybe at one time, all these battles are fought at one time. So we have a challenging thing to partake in. But praise be to God that behind us is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. The final battle is through the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit. And He can grant the victory and through the blood of Christ He can actually dismantle the power of evil. We follow on. So when there's rejection, do not despair. Do not despair. We create the open opportunity to the world within the, this battleground. Our efforts are never in vain. We are working with the Holy Spirit. Verse 5 and 6, chapter 4. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servant for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shone into our heart, 
to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. The message is this. What is the message? I, I told you that uh, within this wish, mission and mission, we have the method, which I thought we dealt with the method just now. Finally, we come to the message. And what is the message? The message simply is Christ is Lord. Christ is Lord. This is our message. We proclaim not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. Jesus Christ as Lord. And if you turn with me to Exodus chapter 20, Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments. What is the first commandment? And God's, verse 1, And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God. You see this tie up? We proclaim that Christ is Lord. We do not go very far away from the Ten Commandments. In fact, we are coming back to what God wants us. God say, I am the Lord your God. Now we proclaim, Christ is Lord. But for this time, it's not written on tablet of stone. But it's written in the tablet of our heart. And because of the ministry of the Spirit, it becomes something which is sustainable, inscribed in our heart, inscribed in our conviction, not like when people have to just read and try to work at it, that Christ is their Lord from the tablet of stone. Somehow we have the grace and the privilege in this time, this period, when, when the promise of Christ that the Holy Spirit will come, we are in this period, the Holy Spirit write this in our heart. Verse 6, God make His light to shine in our heart to give, give us light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. For God has said, Let your light shine out of darkness, has shown in our heart to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Ultimately, what is our final aspiration? Our final aspiration should be, it lies in our increasing intimacy of the knowledge of Christ. All other goals should melt away, even the goals of what we term as kingdom work. The kingdom work. Our goal is not just that we can participate in the activities of the kingdom work. That is not our ultimate goal. Our ultimate goal is to grow in our intimacy of Christ, the knowledge of Christ. The kingdom goal could be like doing whatever, sharing the gospel or even preaching here and all that is not the goal. The goal is through that we gain an intimacy, not intimate knowledge of, of Christ. Intimate knowledge of Christ. You, we must be, we must be merry. We must be merry sitting at the foot of Jesus 
and not just be martyr who was busy, who was busy doing a lot of things, which is legitimate. You remember the story of Mary and Martha? It's found in Luke chapter 10. And I'd like to read what, what, what the Christ say to Mary, Martha. Luke chapter 10. Now, you remember this incident whereby Jesus entered, uh, entered the village and you have Martha who is, went to the kitchen and been busy to actually feed. It's, it's a big task. It's a big task to feed Jesus and the disciples. They didn't come with their provision. It's a big task to be hospitable. So, but you have this other sister, Mary, who, who, who found the thrill. She was not there. She was thrilled just sitting there and listening to Jesus. Now, in that culture, only the men actually discussed that, that big issue. But Mary squeezed in and listened to that. And Martha was not very happy with what Mary, she, Lord, you know, I say he was rebuking Jesus. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Don't we have that attitude and say, I'm doing everything. I'm alone in this work, Lord, you know. This I am. What, what, what did Jesus say? What did Jesus say? Verse 41. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary had chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Mary had chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So, I think my ultimate goal should be defined as this. That in the midst of doing everything, you know, the business of preparing this message and, and, and whatever, and I can see, I appreciate. Now, when I say of mission, one thing I forgot to say, I had supposed to say it in the beginning of the, the message is that this is the church where I find that unlike all other church, that we are nearly a hundred percent mobilized. As I look around, I can see all of you are particularly are participating, contributing, not only your, your time, your fight, you're contributing your effort in so many ways. Many churches I go, you have the 20-80 kind of rule. 20% is doing 80% of the work, but the 80% will just fly. But not this church. So, praise the Lord, I'm really thankful for that. Thankful for that. But I'm hoping that we should always remember in the midst of the cares of doing the ministry to sometimes step back, step back to develop that within what we do, within the Bible reading, is to develop the intimacy, intimacy with Christ. A personal intimacy with Christ, with the Holy Spirit, will power us, will excite us. Shall we pray? Our Father God, we thank you, dear Lord God, that we could, in a way, dear Lord God, use the context of the mission you left us to develop a relationship with you, intimate relationship with you. We thank you, dear Lord God, that uh, the Holy Spirit could actually lead us on in this journey and enrich our life. We thank you for that. So I pray, dear Lord, for myself and for all of us here, dear Lord God, that we rethink, dear Lord God, to build our life, to have a relationship with you in a very intimate way. 
we pray and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.